Hey, if you listen to this podcast week after week, then you will absolutely love my books. There's Travel Light, which basically gives you all of the steps for following your heart. And then there's Knowing Where to Look, which is full of inspirational stories and anecdotes that will help you shift your perspective in the most inspiring way. And for those of you who can't seem to crack the meditation code, grab a copy of Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation Without Really Trying, and your meditation practice will never be the same. All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show. I'm successful, I'm succeeding. And then I hit a wall and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm in this situation again where I'm being driven by money, but I'm no longer wired this way. Don't get me wrong, it's great to make money. We need to make money. But I wasn't driven by how big my paycheck was. That was one thing. And then because my GA at the time would say, dude, you've got some serious talent for this business. You can be top of the table, the 1%. You could be the cream of the crop with how you do this and how you interact with people. And he was just so down that path, but that didn't resonate with me. It wasn't like, yeah, let's do it. It was like, I don't think I could do this for the rest of my life. I don't care how much money I made, right? And then I also experienced my clients. They make a lot of money, they're never home, their wives and children resent them or vice versa. Just the relationship wasn't well because you know that they chose a career to sacrifice personal life to bring in a paycheck and then saying, well, I bring in this paycheck, isn't that enough? I just didn't want to see that happen because I saw right. so many interactions working with couples and executives and business owners and all of that. I'm like, ooh, I could end up down that path. Hello there. This is your host, Light Watkins. We are back with another story from the end of the tunnel. If you are new to At the End of the Tunnel, here's what you're in for. I interview luminaries, artists, philanthropists, creatives, basically anyone who's gone above and beyond to be the change that they want to see in the world. And sometimes they start movements or they create films or they write books where they do something that inspires people. And in the case of this week's guest, they paint murals. That is how Ruben Rojas is being the change that he wants to see in the world. So Ruben grew up in Southern California, and while he was an artist as a young person, he eventually left all that behind. He started playing sports. He was aspiring to study medicine, but he ended up not going to medical school. He went into real estate instead, and he was doing really well financially. He had the fancy car. He had the boat. He had all the trappings of success at a very early age. But when the real estate market tanked, he lost everything and ended up on the brink of bankruptcy. Then Ruben got into financial planning, which he was also good at. And the reason why this part of the story is so interesting is because it illustrates that just because you're good at something does not mean that that is what you are supposed to be doing. Anyhow, after many years of financial planning, Ruben took a personal development course where he was inspired to revisit his childhood love of art. Then a friend of his invited him to paint a mural on the side of a building with an inspirational message, which he did, and his old passion for art began to reignite inside. He went on to paint another few murals that next year, and he kept going until one year he painted 35 murals. 
And slowly but surely, Ruben began shifting from a financial planner who painted murals in his spare time to being a muralist who did financial planning just to pay the bills. And eventually, he had a decision to make. Keep dragging myself to the office or take the leap of faith and become a full-time artist. Well, lucky for us, Ruben decided to do the latter and he started painting murals full-time. And through that process, he developed his viral love design, which you've definitely seen before because it's been printed all over the world on murals, on clothing, on cars, sculptures, you name it. And Ruben's mission is to help people see the world through the lens of love. And he's got a great story that I cannot wait for you to hear. But before we get into the conversation, I do want to let you know about my online community, which is called the Happiness Insiders. The Happiness Insiders basically picks up where this podcast leaves off as the overall goal of the podcast is to share conversations that remind each of us that we have a greater purpose, a personal mission. And while it's one thing to know that intellectually, it's another thing to take the leap in the direction of that mission. And so that's the goal of the Happiness Insiders community. It's about giving you the tools for cultivating happiness within through various inner practices like meditation and gratitude and weekly goal setting and exercises for overcoming your fears. And then to use all of that to create a more purposeful life. So if you feel ready for that type of spiritual transformation and adventure, you can find more information about it at thehappinessinsiders.com, which I will include in the show notes. And there's a three-day free trial as well, and you'll get to start the seven-day meditation kickstart for free. So check that out when you can. It's at thehappinessinsiders.com. And in the meantime, let's get to the story behind the story of Mr. Ruben Rojas and see exactly how he found his calling as a viral artist and muralist. Ruben, thank you so much for coming on to At the End of the Tunnel. I'm super excited about diving into your story. So you and I have sort of known each other peripherally over the last few years because we worked out at the infamous Deuce Gym in Venice. (laughs) And uh, sunny skies. Yep, in the yard. And my experience of you was this very focused guy that would come in, knew your way around the gym very well. You would not hold back. You would lift very heavy, but you also had great form. So you were actually one of my inspirations. I don't know if I ever told you that, but you were one of my workouts. When you were in the gym, it's like I went even harder because you were there. So I want to first of all, thank you for being my inspiration and for just showing up on that level because that also subconsciously inspired me to to show up as well. And thanks for coming on to the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing that. I'm receiving that right now. Good, man. So yeah, I like to start off the conversation talking about childhood. You grew up in Southern California. When you think back to little Ruben, did you have a favorite toy or activity? Little Ruben did have a favorite toy. He had this little dog. It wasn't like this stuffed animal thing. It was something that was homemade. I don't Mm -hmm. remember if my mom made it or somebody made it and gave it to me, but it was red. I Mm -hmm. took this thing around with me everywhere. I would sleep with it. Like there's ends of it that were kind of rubbed and it's just, I would like kind of rub it on my lip. You know, I never did thumb sucking or any of those kinds of things, but I had like this little doggy was like my blankie. 
So mm. that, that's something very vivid of my childhood. I don't know where or how I retired them, but it happened. And besides that, I've always just been very physical. So I was in a lot of sports growing up. So anything that was a physical activity was a highlight. So with the red toy or homemade dog, was that like a comfort thing for you? Or did you feel like it gifted you with something else that you did not have? Like, I'm wondering what that evoked within you as a kid, if you can remember. You know, it was definitely a comfort thing. I don't Mm -hmm. know what it was comforting, whether it was making me feel safe or secure or just my buddy for bedtime. I don't know. But I definitely know there was a time in my life where this dog was something I needed and had to have. Talk to me a little bit about growing up. Like, what was your household like? What was the vibe like? Was it a safe environment? Did you have siblings or your parents together? Yeah, so my parents were together, and I have a younger brother. He's about two and a half years younger. We grew up in Panorama City. We still own that house. That's where my dad spends his time, or in Colombia. And we had a pool. You know, there was gardening. We would run around. We would play in the pool. We had animals. All the animals in the world started with dogs, lots of dogs. And then somehow I would always bring home a stray cat, although I'm deathly allergic to cats. Go figure. I'm just a sucker for animals. I just believe that there's something that we can learn from them, especially dogs. Talk about unconditional love. Sometimes I think humans don't even deserve dogs. But that's a whole other topic. Yeah, very active. Lots of sports, lots of activities, bikes and rollerblades and skateboarding. We didn't lack in, in toys or things like that. My parents made sure that we got mostly what we asked for. And, and my mom put us in weekend summer camps or different classes to learn different things like robotics or art or painting or clay or pottery, things like that. So pretty typical as far as the good. It's pretty safe. And you mentioned Colombia. Were you guys immigrants? Were your parents immigrants? Both of my parents are immigrants. So my brother and I are first generation. They didn't come here together, though. My mom came at seven. So she basically grew up here. And my dad came at 21. They just happened to meet and both be Colombian at some point in their lives, (laughs) which makes us full Colombian. Yeah. But uh, I have been back. We were there when we were a little kid. And that was one experience. And then I went back a few times as an adult. Do you remember any philosophies or mantras or any words of wisdom that your parents would echo that you and your brother may still, like if you and your brother got together today, you both remember this phrase that your dad or your mom used to always say to you? You know, some of the phrases that I remember aren't like mantras, not anything good or bad. They're, you know, it's a funny joke or a vacation song that used to, we used to sing together in Spanish, which was just funny. But it's more so like work hard. And the success and stuff will come to you, right? Get good grades, you know, will help you get a car. Get straight A's, you're going to be better off in life. So it was just about really showing up and, and working. They were both very entrepreneurial parents. They didn't have a nine to five or a job where they went somewhere. My dad built computers and then my mom had a craft store and then went into insurance. So your mom was like the artist in the family. Yeah, there's, there's a little bit of an artist background in her. That's that's for sure. I remember that just growing up very young. Yeah, my brothers and I, I have three brothers. And my older brother and I, we were a year apart. And we used to 
have these sort of drawing competitions. We draw comic books. My mom would take us to art classes from time to time. You had something similar going on, right? You did some art classes when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. I remember that all of, we were in an oil painting class over a couple months and I would do some work and it was animals. I remember painting a wolf hidden within the forest and then a whale jumping out of the ocean. I remember doing like pencil and charcoal classes and learning to cross hatch and shade woodworking and whittling classes, you know, stuff was either at a park, someone was teaching at night or the Y or some other camp or some, something at Valley college or something. She, yeah. She kept us very active just to either learn everything and figure out our paths or just keep us occupied. Either way, you know, I remember a lot of that stuff. I think that's what keep, makes me a little bit more well-rounded and handy because we do so yeah. much. My dad, would talk to us. He was an entrepreneur and he had his own law firm. And he would always talk to us about the importance of owning your own business and, and making money. And so I think that's probably one of the reasons why I didn't think about pursuing art seriously. What was your idea of what Ruben was going to become when he grew up? You know, there's a few things as a kid, I remember... You know, I landed on going to school to be a doctor, but because I loved animals so much, there was a point where like, I'm going to be a vet. I'm Mm. going to be a vet. I love dogs. I love cats. I love animals. And I think that shifted when we had to put a dog down. Like it crushed me. Absolutely (laughs) devastated me. And I think from there, I'm like, yeah, I don't know about vets because if I have to do this (laughs) for other people and see this all the time, I, someone need to hold me at night every night. Right. So that's when I shifted to more science and doctor. So you never even imagined being a full-time artist or anything like that? Never crossed my mind. And let me tell you, throughout my childhood, throughout high school and all that, I drew. I drew a ton. I used to drew comic covers. I used to yeah. draw the book covers for our textbooks. I mean, I drew. I excelled in art classes, but no, no one ever said go be an artist. And during our time growing up, it's not like today. Today, being a creator is a whole other level. Right. The opportunity is next right. level. NFTs, um, saying, all kinds of stuff. Everything. But you could just be on YouTube and TikTok. Like whatever you create, it, it, you just got a bigger opportunity to connect. Whereas when we were growing up previously to that, unless you have a gallery, like who's going to see your art? It's not like you could go post it somewhere or share somewhere. So, so it was very different. And I loved it. I love drawing. My notes in school, all around the notes. Doodles, 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 doodles. I draw mazes with like dragon trap, like all kinds of crazy stuff. My art's completely different than what I used to do back then, but all of that was super important. I just spend hours drawing. Hey there, really quickly. Have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice, but you're not quite sure where to begin? Well, if inner work is like a drop of water, thehappinessinsiders.com is like your ocean. That's my online community where you can learn real-world techniques for cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day, I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork. And you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, you'll get community, you'll get accountability directly from me, and you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, 
you'll receive 30% off of the all access pass if you go to thehappinessinsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, thehappinessinsiders.com. Enter the promo code HAPPY and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all access pass, which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses, such as my 108 day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is happy. All right, back to the episode. What was your idea of success as a child, if you, or as like a teenager, if you can remember? So there's a couple of things. As Colombians, we're a little ostentatious, right? More colorful, brighter. So things and showing off things, you know, and my dad had nice things. And I can look back now and see all the psychology around that. But to me, nice success was a nice car, a Mercedes, a BMW. Success was being able to go out to eat often and just have stuff and things and nice clothing. My dad was suited and booted like custom suits. So like all that to me was how watches, you know. The, the, the material things and not they're not there's not not that there's anything wrong with that but like that's part of it and then America as I started growing up even more America solidifies like you know I'm 22 a girl's gonna look at me if I'm in a nice car regardless of what I look like if I'm in a terrible car maybe she'll get past the car but we, it, the reality is that's not the case right right the, the reality is the reality. But it was all about what I had, you know? There was a point where it was about the biggest rooms I could get, the nicest, like all the stuff. I remember in high school, the football players could get the girls. And you you obviously became really good at football. What position were you playing? I played outside linebacker. And in high school, you went both ways. So you, all the special teams. And then I'd sub in at running back as well, depending on what we were mm-hmm. doing. And did you get a scholarship to college? I had a couple opportunities and then I'm like, I don't think I'm going to continue playing. Let me just focus on what's after high school. And then a little voice in my head said, nope, you're going to go play. So then I went to play at College of the Canyons. How was their team? It was good. We, we had a winning record every year. We went to the bowl game the two years that I played. And that was the resurrection of the program. It's really good. They've gone to state since. It's been a really good program ever since then. It's D1 caliber football. So you got a BS in kinesiology. What was the plan? The plan was to be to an get that Mercedes. Surgeon. Yes, to be an orthopedic <laughs> surgeon. Let's go. Right. As an athlete and an avid athlete and everything about fitness is just something I've always loved. Mm -hmm. So naturally, I'm like, dude, surgery on athletes. I'm thinking like, let me fix NFL players and NBA players and all that. That was the thought. That was the dream. And was Um, the art happening in the background while this was going on in college? At that point, it wasn't. No, it's been shelved for a while. I would still the doodles, no more doodles on the notes. No, the doodles happened. That's just that's how I just kept busy. <laughs> but the big drawings or different things, no, I, mean, I hadn't touched paints or paintings in years because I was a three sport athlete. So at that 
by the time I committed to multiple sports, I and mean, I didn't have time for anything else. Let me guess: track, baseball, football. Track, yes. Soccer, football. Soccer, okay. The Colombian roots. <laughs> yeah. Well, because baseball and track kind of run simultaneously too. Right. So you didn't go to medical school. Nope. Why did you talk you got, yourself out of that? You know, it was really easy. So I had a buddy at the time. He's like, hey, you could, you should come try out real estate. I'm like, huh? Why? Like, for furthest thing of what I was thinking, studying or doing, right? Yeah, just come try it out. I'm like, I'm doing really well. This is what you do. So I got What kind of car was he finance. driving? I don't even remember. I didn't pay attention to that at the moment. But first month in, I made just under $18,000. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I can have a half a million dollars in debt, you know, eight to 10 more years of school, maybe bald, fat, and out of shape because you're so stressed out. At least these are the horror stories people tell you. Or I could see what I make the next month over here on real estate side. And this is 2004. So this is people are like printing money around this time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In LA. Were you in LA? Yeah, Yeah. here, always here. If you could fog sunglasses, they got a loan. (laughs) It was was insane. So I had excellent credit at the time. I was teaching yoga at the time. So I was making probably $800, $900 a week, which is basically nothing. For me, though, it was a new career. So I was, you know, I was just starting out and I had friends who were like flipping properties. Like they were in the Cirque du Soleil, like they were doing double (laughs) somersaults on properties. And so everybody was talking about flipping properties. And I ended up getting a zero down payment loan on three income properties in 2006. I had like $2 million worth of property. So at least I owed the banks $2 million. And that's right around the time things started to peak and then start to decline. So talk about your experience. So every year, every month after month after month, I made more and more and more money. You're 20 something Mm -hmm. making all this money. Like, what am I supposed to do with it? Naturally, sell more. Oh, buy houses. Oh, start lending out your own money. This was the roller coaster going up and going up and going up. And that carrot is just like right there. And you're just, okay, let's go. Still biting it. Still biting it. Seems to be endless until you get to the end and you're like, whoa, okay, 2008 hits. What was the most you made during that period? I mean, there was 80K months, 50K months. It was obscene amounts of money. You're like well in the six figures, like $500,000, $600,000, that type of thing. Oh, yeah. So you're balling and then you lose it all. Then you lose it all. But it wasn't like I snapped my finger, lost it. There was a, it was kind of strategic, obviously, to get myself out of the position. I lost it all, but it wasn't that I was a frivolous spender. I actually saved right. 50% of every month's check. And okay. I would just put it in a money market account. Countrywide at the time, 4%. You start loading that thing up. Every month, that thing's growing and growing and growing and growing. But then it, it was just a matter of like, I went and opened my own place. And this starts turning down. You have staff, you have things. You're like, wow, we're not bringing in money like we were. So I start using my own money to pay for staff, pay for things, pay everything off. I start realizing that I'm not making anything that I was making. So I need to start unloading all the things that I had. So I sold my house, didn't foreclose it, didn't miss a payment, none of that. I still had to short sell it just because the market crashed so hard. But Sold it. So I didn't have that anymore. Sold the boat. Didn't have that anymore. Literally just got rid of everything. The only thing I had left was business debt. 
So I went into bankruptcy, went into the court, showed them my paperwork. They're like, yeah, goodbye. You're discharged. No problem. Because they saw what I had done. Because to me, I still have all these principles of your word is your bond. Integrity. Credit is everything. So I used all my cash to try to stay afloat. Luckily, yeah. I had really good credit. So it only dropped to the 600s. And I was able to recover and rebuild afterwards. But would I change anything? No. But I did see people. And sometimes like the old Ruben kind of be like, eh. There's so many people that short sale their houses back to themselves, saved all their cash, did all this crazy loophole stuff. And they still live in all their things. And they weren't making any of the money. I'm like, could I have done that? Probably. Would it sit well? No. To me, it was like I had to get out of this the way I got out of it. And at least I was clean. I could always sleep at night. Through that whole period of time, I could sleep at night with everyone that I put in the house, everyone that did everything. We didn't do anything crazy. But I did see some FBI raids. Yeah, that was kind of my experience, too. It was a peace of mind decision for me. I was like, if I really want to hold on to this, I could probably make it happen. But I don't want to not sleep well at night. Mm -hmm. So I decided to liquidate everything and do short sales and legally settled payments and and that yeah. kind of thing. Did you see the writing on the wall or were you in denial? Because I was in denial. I, I have to admit, if I'm being completely honest, I was in denial. The writing was on the wall if I really wanted to look at it. I was definitely in denial. My mom would always say, what goes up must come down. There's going to be a correction. And I was in denial because I'm like, no, you know what? It'll be fine. I'll make more. I'll make more. I, I was just so confident in my ability to be able to work and generate income that you totally just don't think of. And you're also young. In my mm-hmm. 20s, you know what? We're invincible. Bravado and ego get in the way. But it sounds like you already had some financial planning acumen during that time. So is that kind of what led to the next phase, the financial planning phase? One didn't lead to the other in, in that capacity. You know, th- just the saving part was just from our parents, my mom's like, you got to save, you got to save. It wasn't like it was majorly invested. But from 08 to 09, for that year, I was like, what am I going to do with myself? You want to know what made it worse? When you're at the bottom of all of this, you get a wet reckless. And all of a sudden, you have to go to court for that. And you're on probation with driving. Your insurance goes through the roof and you're paying all these fines. So Mm -hmm. it's reckless driving. What happened there? Were you drunk? No, oh. I wasn't. That's the a kicker. The kicker <laughs> of all that. I was actually just on like a crazy cleanse for a photo shoot to be lean. And I went out with my girlfriend at the time, had one drink, drove all the way from Hollywood back to the Valley. And I was at In-N-Out on Van Nuys and Ventura, got our order, started eating it, pull out. And then these cops pulled me over. A, I think, A, because of the truck. I had an all-blacked-out Escalade on 26. I'll leave it at that. Then mm. I pull over. I blow under. And then after they make me blow up second or third time, I blow at the limit, mm. which they didn't have to make me keep blowing. But they're mm. sitting there talking, and I could hear them talking. And they're like, oh, we're going to get mad overtime right now. You know, we're wow. off now. And so now they're running. So they've got four or five hours of overtime. They wrote in the report that I turned Ventura Boulevard is five or six rows. It's like a highway. It's a right. huge street. They said I made my right turn, but turned all the way across the street. I had to be completely plastered and inebriated to even fathom turning that far and that wide. And Escalades turn like a dime. They, right. so, 
So it's just all of that was fishy. Plus, I had just ordered food. Like, I wouldn't even have been amazed. I would have crashed in that in and out driveway. Either way, you know, it was part of the downfall. You know, this was the, the cherry and the icing on top of what had just happened. You lose everything and then you're indebted to the government with all these fines. That's when I, you know, I believe that the system is rigged and I believe that it's, it's not meant or favorable for us to get out of the hole. But I, I also believe that's for anyone in that position. I'm brown. I've got my whole experience of, of what I've gone through. But I think if you just don't have money, you're not going to get out of the hole. You get a speeding ticket that you can't pay that turns into eight hundred dollars. You're like, I couldn't pay it at one seventy five. How am I supposed to pay it at eight hundred? Right. And math. then you get any any other problems, you go to jail, and then you're in jail, and you're you know it's a whole domino it effect. Spirals. Yeah, exactly. So how did that lead to the financial planning? So in the midst of all that, my mom worked at Northwestern for eleven years. While we were growing up, she's like, hey, you should try this out. My girlfriend at the time's dad said, hey, you should check out you know, insurance and financial services. So I just started applying and I went and took my mass mutual exam, passed, and that was the next path. So how did you meet Lewis, Lewis House? So originally, we were connected through something. But then when we reconnected was when he went to Brick CrossFit. I used to train at Brick CrossFit. That's when we started connecting, talking. This was preschool of greatness. It was just this seed. And look what he's built with that, which is He was like the LinkedIn guy at that time, right? Exactly. He was the LinkedIn guy. And also coming from his own story of living on his sister's couch and whatnot. So he had already done the MIT course at that point? Yeah. So at this point... Let's go back a little. I'm a financial advisor. For the next mm-hmm. five years, you're doing the thing. I'm successful and I'm succeeding. And then I, I, I hit a wall and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm in this situation again where I'm being driven by money, but I'm no longer wired this. Thing. Don't get me wrong. It's great to make money. We need to make money. But I wasn't driven by how big my paycheck was. That was one thing. And then because my my GA at the time would say, dude, you've got some serious talent for this business. You can be top of the table, the 1%. You could be the cream of the crop with how you do this and how you interact with people. And he was just so down that path. But I was I, that didn't resonate with me. It wasn't like, yeah, let's do it. It was like, I don't think I could do this for the rest of my life. I don't care how much money I made, right? And then I also experienced my clients. They make a lot of money. They're never home. Their wives and children resent them or vice versa. The relationship wasn't well because you know that they chose a career to to sacrifice personal life, to bring in a paycheck and then saying, well, I bring in this paycheck. Isn't that enough? I just didn't want to see that happen because I saw so many interactions working with couples and executives and, and business owners and all of that. I'm like, ooh, I could end up down that path. So that was another one of the reasons like I started thinking that. You had this really unique perspective of working very closely with people who had achieved the so-called American dream. And you got to see what that was actually like. When you extrapolate all of those achievements and financial accomplishments, what are people actually experiencing in real life? And you got to see, mm-hmm. this is not where I want to necessarily go. But you stayed in it for quite a while. In terms of your job, your nine to five job and all of that. Yeah. I I mean, I started really putting that all together five years in. Right. Which goes by quickly too. When you're like, you know, you're doing it, you're really good at your job. 
you're getting all kinds of external validation that five years can go by quickly. It does. It went by super quick. And then the next few years, we'll get into a little bit later. But at that point, I'm like, why don't I want to go to work? Why don't I want to get out of bed? I'm questioning everything. Like, am I depressed? There's way more information around depression now. And it's not something to kick around. But I can look back and be like, yeah, I was depressed. I got lost in my fit. I'm like, let me just go compete and do hours of CrossFit because I'm escaping everything else. Or, or, you know, I'm like, I'm doing just enough to survive, take care of my clients, bring on a few new ones and live life. It wasn't like I was totally down spiraling and sabotaging, but I was searching for something. And that's when Lewis was like, let's grab a coffee. I want to share something with you. Because he had just done MITT. He was two classes before me. Mm-hmm. It was really right place, right time. Because if I was in another place, would I have gone? I don't know. But I was just open. Like I have, I'm asking too many questions. Let me go figure this out. And obviously, it's got to fall on me. You obviously looked up to Lewis a little bit too. You have to in order to do something like that, right? Well, yeah. You, I mean, you're talking about his struggle and what he's done and what he's accomplished and what you see even at that time. And then you see another guy like you, an athlete, physical guy. Okay. There's got to be some stuff there. It's like, if he can do it, I can do it. Mm. You know? So there's similarities in all of that. So totally. So you're in MITT and you had to stand up in front of everybody and declare something. What happened? I said, I am love. <laughs> and it was terrifying because you, you, you get up in front of, I don't know, 200 people. I forgot how many people it was. It's kind of auditorium feeling. And they already, they hype you up. They're like, when you get up there, you need to say something. We need to feel it. It needs to be authentic. Like you need to move us. I'm like, okay, no pressure. And then that's <laughs> it. That's what I said. What did that lead to? I am love. Well, looking back now, as you can see, I painted it <laughs> once or twice on the wall. But what was that next step? Like, what, I know you hooked up with Evan in that group, and what happened? So that moment was like the middle part of the whole thing, right? There's a week here and a week here, and then there's mm-hmm. the thing you opt in that's over four months. NLP is when other things started happening. You keep doing the work, you keep showing up, you do all the, you know, and I don't want to go into detail of what they have you do, because if someone wants to do it, it's their journey. You just do the activations, you do the things, you just, it's about surrendering and giving in. I mean, trust me, I resisted too. There was a lot of resistance, but what did I have to lose? Nothing at that point. You know, I have the rest of my life ahead of me and I went in feeling already terrible. Like, what? obviously, we can only possibly come out on the other end as well. So we go through LP, we get toward the end of LP, and whoever's left, the graduating class, they all have a hoodie, a team hoodie. It's a uniform. And I started sketching out a design. I'm like, this is cool. This is what I think. And then Evan saw it and said, we need to put that on a wall. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What do you mean put it on a wall? This is for the hoodie. And I'm like, like a mural? He's like, yeah, we need to put that as a mural. And we're going to enroll the whole class that our community service project is going to be a mural. And we're going to get people to help us paint it. And we're going to raise the money because as a goal, you do a community service project, whatever that whole team lines up to. 
there was actually a consistent theme a few LPs after that where there was murals and art projects involved, which was really cool because that kind of became contagious in that capacity. But that's how the first mural went up. This design that you put on the hoodie, was this a design that you had done before? Where did it come from? I was just playing around. I like words. I, you know, I've always drawn words, graffiti, tagging, stuff like that amongst everything else. And to me, words are the easiest way to communicate beyond being present and body language and all that, obviously. You put a word on the wall, that says you belong here. I'm clearly <laughs> telling you what that piece of artwork means. But now it's for you to interpret it from there. Art is so subjective, you know? Whatever we draw in terms of I'm using colors, I'm using words, I'm using language. So that's where the words came from. And the design, it was just a bunch of words. All these words that we learned through doing the work that we obviously already knew. But my internal conversation is I am not worthy on what end, operating from fear. Or I'm like, no, wait a minute, I am worthy. Let me come from love. I am worthy. I know it's not as easy as on and off, but let me look at why I'm not feeling worthy right now and give myself a little bit of love to get back to knowing that I'm worthy. Things like that. So starting to answer that conversation, love or fear. What was your spiritual foundation at that time? Were you reading like conversations with God or any of those kind of spiritual books? No, I wasn't. I grew up Christian. I went to private school. So that's about as that was the religion that, that we came up with. And I'm not like crazy religious or anything like that. I mean, church and all that was more of an activity. It wasn't like anything. Right. We did. But there was always something inside of me before emotional intelligence was a buzzword. Before I went into like the real estate, there was a time where I was a personal trainer and in college and I would write things about life is now. And I used to go back and look up my blogs. Who knows? There's somewhere in the internet on a blog spot somewhere. Sure, I used sure. To write this way. I used to write the way that answered all this, but at some point I lost myself and I lost myself to money. Just mm -hmm. to keep it simple and real estate making lots of money. You know, and the one regret through that is I didn't travel when I had all that money because I had to make more money. So I literally mm -hmm. lost myself to money. And it wasn't like greed. I still was very generous, but it was just still like I gotta make more. I gotta make I don't know why. And I think that is what started shifting everything because you're starting to look back and forth, back and forth. And when did I find myself again? I guess doing the work in MITT brought me back and I researched some of these old blogs. I'm like, wow, that was kind of already in me. But the world takes it away. And I'm like, if I'm looking at that, it's probably in all of us. There are folks that are more enlightened than others. This is true. But we all have this inside of us. We all have this energy inside of us. It's whether we listen to it and tap in, whether we call it our heart, our guardian angel, or, or whatever, the universe, you know, it's there. So your first mural was across the street from a Starbucks. Do you remember the message? And if so, why did you choose that message? And then part B of the question is, did you make any technical mistakes that you learned from <laughs> after doing the first one? Yeah, the message was very clear. It was like, what was my internal battle going into all of this? Mm -hmm. And I asked on the left, I painted a question. Who will you be? Question mark. Spelled it out in red. On the right side of the wall, 70, 80 words. To answer that, will you be grateful, a leader, worthy, responsible, love, 
joyful, humble, all these different words to start asking that question. And the reason why I posed it that way was, am I depressed? Why am I feeling unworthy? Why don't I want to get out of bed? And then maybe if I start answering it this way, I can start saying, oh, you know what? It's because I'm unhappy. Well, why am I unhappy? I'm not doing what I want to be doing. What is my purpose? So you can start questioning, asking the right questions versus sulking or being a victim, right? So much easier to be a victim and sulk and sit in the corner and cry and whine. And there's a right place for all that. You know, just don't live in it. Don't sit in it. Don't Mm -hmm. dawdle there. But that's what it was. It was like, how can I get people out of this conversation? And if we're mirrors for each other, because I'm really only talking to myself. I was like, what if someone else is feeling the way I'm feeling? Just different words. What if someone else would need this question? And then I took it a level further and I said, okay, so 40 to 50,000 people drive by this wall on Lincoln Boulevard, big old trafficy street, right? There's a Starbucks across the way. And I'm like, what if one of those people drives in feeling angry that day because they felt the way I felt, not wanting to get out of bed? We can easily say, oh, that's just an a-hole. Or we can say, okay, they're having a bad day. And then they walk in with that energy and that barista who's up at 4 a.m. to be there to make you coffee at 5 and they're going to have their long day gets your stinky attitude. That gets Mm -hmm. contagious and starts beating that person down. And then imagine how many people that barista sees and then they're stinky all the way down the line. So I'm like, what if someone with that stinky attitude reads the wall and says, you know what, today I'm going to be joyful and I'm going to be grateful because I get to sit in traffic. I get to go to work for a boss that I hate, but I get money and I put food on the table. And they walk in and say, hey, barista, thank you for this coffee this morning. You make me so happy. My drive's going to be better. Now imagine that energy going forward. Like That's how I thought about this mural. And I was like, what if I could pose a question that could shift someone's mental state that could then obviously change energy. And am I trying to be all meta and this and that? No, I was just really thinking that this is a possibility. This is exactly what it is. That's the whole premise. And in the middle of the mural, I have a silhouette of me going like this. There's a Mm -hmm. red heart outlined throughout the words, and it's about Mm -hmm. me receiving it. And then over Mm -hmm. the door, there was a silhouette of Evan like this, with everything coming out of his heart. So it was about giving and receiving and how we give and receive amongst each other all day long. Because one thing that I learned is that I was always a huge giver, give, 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 energy, 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 time, time, time. And by the time Thursday, Friday comes, I'm on the couch spent because I was terrible at receiving. One thing that I learned is when someone gives you a compliment, you're like, oh, thank you, but no, you're beautiful. You just brushed it away. They didn't get the energy exchange they were trying to give you, and you didn't give it back. Instead, you stopped them. And I had to learn that. And then it made sense later on like why I'm so exhausted at the end of the week. That's all in one mural. <laughs> Did you make any technical mistakes that you learned from? Well, first of all, I had no idea how I was going to execute this. I'm looking at the wall. Like, how am I going to put all these Wait, words okay, up so there? First of all, is it? how do you even pick a wall? Like, Do you have to go and get permission from somebody? How does that work? Yeah, so that was Evan's job. He went and got permission. He knocked on doors on Lincoln. He had done a few murals there already with other people. And the owner of that business was Lauren, and it was Cardio Bar. And she's okay. like, yes, this is awesome. 
So, you know, it went in line with what they're doing in fitness and things like that as well. But I had free reign on, on what I was going to paint. If that was the first mural and technical mistakes. There's no technical mistakes. I would say I would learn how to do it quicker mm. moving forward. Mm. And we projected the design. Like, how am I going to get that up there? I have no idea. I mean, I'm going to sit there and draw. And how am I going to get this to scale? I'm going to make it look like this. And then, oh. And who's paying cool. for all the paint and the we lists? Raised the and... We raised okay. the money for all that. Yeah. So we raised just enough to cover the lift because it needed a lift and all the paint and then other people on our lp helped paint it because there was nights i was there till 3 a.m oh you know i was wow. in a suit and tie living in woodland hills <laughs> and then I'd be done. so woodland hills to century city century city back to woodland hills woodland hills back to santa monica and then right. i'd be there till three or four and then back to woodland hills and then back to the office at seven would you have paint on your hands when you were going to work oh yeah something people's like interesting manicure job <laughs> that's awesome man so you only did one mural your first year yeah so that was end of 2013 going into 2014 that's why i'm like 2013 2014 it was finished 2014 or the veiling was 2014 and then i believe the next mural was almost toward the end of that year which was the mm -hmm. anything can happen anything can be mural and then 2015 was the third mural and then Every year after that, I just kept doing it. I was still in finance. You and I inadvertently crossed paths during this time. I think it was 2014 slash 15 because I had this event that I started in 2014 called The Shine. And part of The Shine is like an inspirational variety show. We would give someone from the audience, there'd be like maybe 200, 300 people in the audience. We give someone $400 to make a difference in the world. Just hand them cash on the stage. And one person won, her name is Olympia Osset. And Olympia, I think she collaborated with Beautify Earth, which is an organization you and Evan started to do a mural in the Crenshaw Corridor. Yes. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure if she designed the mural or you guys designed the mural or how all that worked, but I know, I, I believe that it happened. It didn't happen. It, it did. took a little while. It's, it was let's be good to each other or something like that. Was the, was yeah. the, and it was so Sean McQuish was the artist, and it was like a woman's head sideways. And yes, and yes, be good on the side of this. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so I, I didn't know, know that was your thing, but I know she told us about it. She came back and she did a whole beautiful video about, about how the whole thing went down. Yeah, I remember it was, it was a beautiful project, a beautiful moment. And I don't know if the delay was because we had to get another wall or something, but it was super cool. Oops, yeah. Cool. You and Evan decided we're going to make a nonprofit out of this. When did you get to the point where you thought, okay, this is what I really want to be doing? Let me go back a little. So Evan started okay. Beautify Lincoln, mm -hmm. which was just him saying, Lincoln's ugly. Let's paint some murals on this. And he got some of his friends to help paint some murals. Then we met in the MITT. Mm -hmm. And there he was like, Beautify Lincoln? Ooh, Beautify Earth. And then because we connected on art and this mural, I teamed up. Then we started moving this thing forward. And so now it's Beautify Earth. But then after MITT and all that, I'm like, dude, let's make this a nonprofit. There was no intention or anything. I'm like, it just sounded more formal, I think, or more of a real thing to do. So we did it. We made that happen. We had a small board forever. No one gets paid. 
No one takes a salary. All the money goes to the project. It's purely out of passion, literally out of passion. Our first murals, they were free, basically. It's like, can I get $100, please? (laughs) $200, something for paint? And that grew and grew and grew over time. So that's kind of how that ended up being that. And it's not that that was our full time or this was literally we were moonlighting, but it quickly became like the only thing we thought about. And I was still a financial advisor. I was painting, but not as much, but we were facilitating projects with Beautify. So that kind of filled the other void. Was your muse coming to you in the middle of the night with ideas of things that you could paint and you're like waking up more excited about that than you were about working with your financial clients? Oh, yeah. You know what? Also, my financial clients are like, why aren't you doing that? Like, we'll be fine. <laughs> Go do that. You know, because so you would talk to them about about the murals. You were so excited. They follow about me it. on social media. You know, I'm, I'm an open book. So they would see right. what I posted and they're like, well, you're not reading tax code on the weekends. You're painting <laughs> murals. Tell me about this. So that was that. But all of my murals and all of my work comes to the point of like, I needed to say something to myself. And what was that thing that I needed to just say? You know, anything can happen. Anything can be. It was about living in possibility. What and how can I make it possible to be painting murals my entire life? And that's as far as that really got, right? The other one was You Are Beautiful. And that was just about our self-worth and like, I'm feeling fat today. Why am I feeling fat? Am I, what are my insecurities? No, you know what? I am beautiful. And just saying it more as a mantra. And the next one was like about goals and dreams. And the next, so those are continuing moments on me having conversations with myself that went way beyond me. You belong here. The first time I painted that, this was in San Antonio. I land, no idea what I'm going to paint. I just know we're painting an eight by 12 panel for this thing. And I'm like, okay, well, I still don't know what I'm going to paint. Go to the paint store, grab my paints. All right, this is what I'm painting. And I painted, you belong here. And to me, it was, I belong here as an artist. That was my intention behind that piece. I belong here on this planet. I have purpose. This is me. And I also did a love pull that's there. So that was one of the first 10 times or so that I started to love publicly. I used to do it on canvases and stuff throughout this time. Mm-hmm. And that quickly became one of their most popular murals at this park of murals. And the thing that really gives me the goosebumps is the fact that people would message me and said, thank you, Ruben. Today, I didn't kill myself because of your mural. Today, I believe in my life and not taking like over and over and i'm like this is why i keep doing this and again it started with me having a conversation for me but it's way beyond that the way someone else takes it is however they need it so my art's just an invitation and a conversation i'll open the door you walk through and interpret it the way you want to interpret it when you stopped going into the office that day had you had a conversation with anyone Or was it just an internal decision where you were like, I just can't, you know, I don't need anybody's permission. I'm just going to stop. I didn't have a conversation with anyone about that particular moment of what I was going to do. It just didn't cross my mind. I didn't even think like, what if I wasn't this finance guy anymore? This was an internal thing. It was, it was in here. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I'm not going in. And one day became two days, two days became three days, three days became four days and years. 
you know, until my contract expired in 2019. So I was an, an advisor for 10 years. But obviously, the last couple of years, you know, I wasn't there. I did. And I always preface this, I took care of all my clients. I serviced them. I gave my book of business away. I didn't sell it to a buddy. I'm like, you're going to take care of my client. He does all my stuff now. Great guy. Everyone's in great hands. It wasn't like I disappeared and like, where's Ruben? Oh, he just quit. No, it was transitioned. So there's always mm-hmm. that. But I just didn't go back. I, I, there's still stuff in those offices. I have no idea what's over there. I know I have tax returns in some drawer somewhere. I didn't go get anything. I just, I was well, you, gone. You're probably one of the most financially savvy artists that you ever come across, right? Because of that experience. Based on experience, I would say, yeah. All right. So let's talk about the love because you're, I think, most known for your, your love art or as you call it, your paint inspiration. But it's very intentional. It looks so simple. It looks like, oh, he just kind of came up with it. And that's just, you know, it's just easy and simple and all that. But there's a lot of intention behind the script, behind why it leans in a certain way and all of that. Can you describe what that is about? What you see now isn't how it started. I, I did all caps. I mm-hmm. did lowercase. I did all kinds of handwritten, spray paint, all kinds of different ways of doing it. And I was doing a lot of different things. But a couple reasons as to why love. It's simple. We operate out of love or we operate out of fear. Everything else goes under those two columns. And if we just go to simplify it a lot, I'm like, look, this is why love. This is why love. And then let me break it down on what was what's really happening here. It's always leaning forward because it's forward progress. Love is always forward motion and forward work. And it takes work. The way I lay it out is a dance. Even the, I could paint 10 identical pieces, let's call the shape identical, all white from the same colors, but they won't be, none of them will look alike. Even if I try to make them because a drip is different or or the layout's different or whatever the case is, but I have a certain order in how I lay down the colors. I didn't study color theory. I didn't look at, I didn't go to any formal art training. I'm just, I just like colors, how they are next to each other, what complements what, how they're going to feel, how they're going to look, and then space. There's some very condensed ones. And then I finally found a, a, the right space. We have to have a right space around us at all times. And we have to have the right people around us. I'm starting to look at that within the space of the work. And then black or white bases for the most part. And that's just straight up. This is talking about racism. So it's black or it's white. This is what it comes down to. But look, we all love in different ways and different matters. Mm-hmm. I have a piece with two hands holding. One arm's black, one arm's white. It's called humanity and it has the loves on it. It's not a in your face call to racism and things. It was just always there. It was just always there. I'm just showing you like we're beyond that. And we're just, if we can get down to the point of that, we're humans. Then let's dive in, you know, Hey, I'm Ruben. I'm a dude. Cool. Now start asking questions. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm straight. I'm, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I am an athlete. I'm an artist. I'm now get into the weeds of things. But right now I feel like people get all that before they get to know, Oh, you're just the guy and I'm a guy and we're having a talk. It's about here's how you define me before we could even meet. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding that pretty difficult sometimes because it's like, what am I going into this knowing the NDAs and the clauses and the PC, like what can you and can't have a conversation around? That's why it's love as simple as possible. And obviously, I'll put in other words like gratitude and do what you love and, and all of those things that well to help deliver 
and open up the conversation of the message. And ultimately, I looked back at all of this. I was like, what am I trying to do here? And then we condensed it to live through love. So just like Nike says, just do it. Ruben says, live through love. Like, Live through love. I want it to be as known and as iconic as just do it. Because imagine if people start saying, hey, just live through love instead of, hey, F you. Yeah, it kind of has this Andy Warhol-like quality in the sense that you take this very simple thing and you repeat it and you repeat it and you repeat it. And it's become your trademark as a result of that. And so when someone wants you to create a mural, do they request the love collage or is that something that you say, look, this is what I do. So it's love or, or nothing. You know, I'm always going to incorporate love. So no, it's not that or nothing. Obviously, I'm to a point where it's a beautiful thing. I'm so thankful that people call me, hey, I just want you to do you. Do the love. But I always want to do something more. I want to make it bigger. I want to do better. Like my second Kobe mural, it's clearly Kobe's body filled with my loves. So like that's a different way of doing it and constraining it. Or I'll put up a message and maybe there's some loves in one of the letters, right? right? Or, or what does that lead to in other capacity? So love is a component. And I'll obviously have to put it in just to connect the dots. Like this is a body of work that matches. If you see something completely weird, like I did a commission for a buddy of mine who owns some work, but he's like, hey, can you do this? I want to gift this to someone. I'm like, yeah, I could do that. I could do a lot of other things. So you can't tell that it's love. It's I actually made a wood box with this logo on it, Powerhead wow. logo. And it's a gift for one of the investors. But inside, when you open it, it's a really nice bottle of a 1969 scotch. I laid my love fabric inside. Mm. Inside, it's got that. And I sign it in the back and stuff. But that just shows like my practices. I can do other things. But there's a point where the brand and, and what you're known for needs to stand out so that it resonates with the whole body of the work that's happening. You mentioned earlier the Kobe silhouette. Did your artwork, and that, there's a rumor that you play basketball with Kobe, did your artwork lead to that interaction? No, 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 no. So at College of the Canyons, when we played football, he would go up there and train. Oh, wow. So we're talking okay. 98, 99. We're talking baby Kobe. Right. Young Kobe. Baby Kobe. And I was a little baby there lifting my weight. So he'd be in our weight room. He'd be hitting 400s on the track. And one day, I mean, they told us, you can't bring basketballs. You can't ask him to sign anything. Like there was some people snuck it in and I'm just, I didn't do it. You know, I kick myself now knowing if I had a rookie <laughs> card signed by him. But anyway, and then one day he's like, hey guys, you want to shoot around a little bit? So we got to shoot around and play in the gym. The dude's another level. It's, it's just a whole nother world. And that was, I call it baby Kobe, but you know, right. that was young Kobe. He was what, 19? He's like two years older than me. That's it. That's my Kobe experience. And then in finance, the general agent lived like a couple of streets below Kobe. Mm. So he would see Kobe in his market all the time. So that was one other interaction. No, to me, Kobe was. When when he passed, I knew exactly where I was. And I'm not a celebrity guy or a this guy or that. Like, There's a few people that I love. The Rock, just love that guy. I have this thing where one day I'm just going to be in the Iron Paradise warming it up for him. Like, let's go, let's go. And he's going to have trouble keeping up. 
At least that's the vision in my head. Right. But Kobe's another one. You see someone that went in as a boy, made mistakes, found greatness, fell, grew up, matured, became a father and a man and an example. Like all of that to me was like, you could have easily fallen from grace and disappeared, mm-hmm. but he's not wired that way. I mean, he created the Black Mamba moniker to literally name that darkest bottom of his career to get out of it. And he would go to Mamba mentality to go win and to go move forward. So it's just, it was everything about what he did that got him to that point. We're humans. We're flawed. We make mistakes. No one knows the truth about whatever situation. I don't even want to name the situation. But even when I put up Kobe art or things, I have people still comment and leave dirty Mm. comments. And I'm like, why? Like, how long ago was that that you have to leave that comment on my Instagram post? Speaking of mistakes, you also you did a mural at Lancaster Maximum Security Prison. What was that like? Because you had the prisoners participate, right? Oh, yeah. That was that was a powerful, powerful day. Well, it was over two days. So my neighbor participates in something called Pause for Life. They have a dog program on the prison where the prisoners and the dogs reform each other. And mm-hmm. he's like, hey, dude, would you like to come and speak to the to the inmates? They love visitors. You could tell them about your story. They would love to hear from you. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. So he set up the day because you have to get set up and, and pre-checked. I hadn't talked to him for more. He's my neighbor and he went to Deuce. But at that time, I didn't really know him. And we were in the car for two hours each way. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get to know this guy. And when we get there, I get introduced. I do a tour and I start talking to them. And we start getting really, really deep, really, really deep on the conversation. I'm like, whoa, these guys are, just to use the word, a little woke here. They've done the most heinous thing. All these guys took a life, but like they figured out a way to like move on and move forward. And we somehow landed on the topic of forgiveness and self-forgiveness. And that just stuck with me. And while we were on tour, I got to tour their art facilities. I checked out the yard, checked out a couple. And I'm like, It'd be really cool to like paint a mural on that wall. And somebody heard me because then Todd, who invited me up to speak, calls me a couple months later. Hey, so do you want to paint a mural on on the prison wall? I'm like, what? Yeah, let's do it. A lot of red tape to film it. We had we filmed it. There's a little mini doc on it. And we painted with them. They all got to paint with us. They loved it. It was super hot. Terribly hot day, but worth everything and every moment. And it was the word forgive. And then it casted a shadow and the shadow said forgiven. And the purpose of this mural isn't about asking for forgiveness of someone else. It's asking for forgiveness of yourself. Because until you forgive yourself, you cannot be forgiven, which is why forgive was the most prominent piece of the pie. Mm. And this works on both ends because these inmates can't get to this point of reform and doing the work if they didn't forgive themselves for the crime they created and for the place they were at. And they told me their stories. They're like, dude, this is my entire family are gangsters. This is because I didn't have another choice. This is because, and you know, I truly believe people believe they do not have choices. That goes back to that first mural. Who will you be? And I put a whole bunch of choices. I gave you a multiple choice no wrong answer quiz, right? Because 
because we we forget that oh yeah people don't know they have choices because you get stuck we get stuck and we forget and then we were just talking about like how am i supposed to ask for forgiveness for the parents of the person that i took away from them if i haven't forgiven myself for it or how is that parent ever going to forgive the inmate for doing the crime if they haven't forgiven themselves for because whatever conversations like how did i allow my daughter's son to be in that position right they'll blame themselves in some capacity as well so we got to forgive ourselves before we can ask for it to get it and receive it from the other person so that was that mural simple mural but very deep concept and you've done these all over the world at this point i'm sure you've documented more when is the live through love documentary come out i know the journal is out but when is when are we going to see the documentary you know that's a great question i have been starting to really save everything content for mm -hmm. over the years and you know what's funny is because i started with iphone i don't know what eight six seven filming mm -hmm. so the quality mm -hmm. is obviously not as good but vastly improving which will be kind of cool for the whole thing. But I do yeah. have an intention of like, what does this documentary look like? What does this story look like? What is the story that I want to tell about this? And just show it and show it through art and show it through people. I don't want it to be like about me. I want it to be about what was created. I remember seeing Exit Through the Gift Shop and just being so obsessed with those three artists and Mr. Wonderful and Banksy and all that. That's when I was introduced to that whole world. So I can totally see something coming through all of that with, because, you know, that guy just showed a bunch of his old videotapes that he had from years and years and years mm -hmm. ago. And you've, you've impacted so many people. I remember seeing JR's TED talk and being really excited about big scale photos that he was doing. So mm -hmm. it's definitely something that needs to happen. <laughs> Cause you've done, I could see the montage. Now you've done BMWs, and leather jackets, and God knows what else with the love mm -hmm. symbol on it. And it's all just so beautiful. It's all so beautiful, but you also have your own line of merchandise as well, right? Yeah. You know, collaborating is amazing, especially with a brand that gets it and makes sense and we can align with. But not everyone can see my murals. You know, I mostly paint them in LA because I obviously live there. So it's real easy to drive boom, boom, boom and paint. Mm -hmm. And it's wherever people take me. But a lot of people that follow me and look at the work, they can't see it. They can't experience it beyond a photo. And I'm like, okay, well, then there's fine art, but not everyone can afford an original painting. Right. Then there's prints. That makes it more affordable. But like, what if they don't even want to print either? And I'm like, well, you know, we could put this on a t-shirt. And I painted a mural that says, love yourself. It's a heart filled with love and yourself. And during the painting of that, I'm like, this might be cool on a t-shirt. Found a guy, printed some shirts, debuted the mural with the shirt, sold a bunch of shirts off of that post. And I still almost a year later before I really launched this whole thing. But I was like, there's something here. And it's not just random. Like, again, I don't know why I was so hell bent on becoming a doctor because I've always been a creator. I mean, I make videos. I edit all these things. I remember snowboarding back in 08, I think. And I made a 15-minute mini doc of our snowboarding trip in Whistler. Things that I've always just kind of created, but I've always been into fashion. Fashion's always been so it's not like let me just start t-shirts. No, now I'm cutting and sewing. I'm this sweatsuit that I'm working on right now. I designed it from scratch. Everything wow. that I hate about a sweatsuit, I solved. Like 
nice deep pockets because stuff falls out of sweats. A That's zipper right. in the pocket, a hidden mm-hmm. zipper pocket because you want to lock up that wallet. You want to make sure it's there, mm-hmm. right? A nice little gusset down the middle so it's not just like all your stuff just hanging out. It's a little thing tapered down the leg but roomy around the waist and so on. So I'm like designing little things from scratch. And if it bypasses me, then I know other people are going to like the fit because a lot mm-hmm. of things are either just way too boxy. I mean, it's trying to be designed for most. Or my love jersey. It's an oversized shirt, drop shoulder, all that, but it's still tapered because already a loud pattern, as you know, stripes and checkers and this and that make people look way bigger. So a loud mm. pattern could make you look bigger, but if you design it to taper a little bit, it's going to contour and make you feel good and, and nice and look nice. And you'll still want to wear a really cool shirt. So like that's just always been there. But we started mm. with some t-shirts, hoodies, and some joggers. And I quickly got into cut and sew. Maybe this is because I lived in LA and we know each other. But when I even think of the word love, I think of your design of the word. And I even tagged you when I cut my buddy's hair. I cut love into it. And then I tagged you in it on Instagram. Do you get that kind of thing a lot? People are kind of emulating your love script? Oh, yeah. There's multiple ways. There's the way like you did or another buddy buys all my stuff, supports everything, but he'll write loves on all the gifts that he gives. He's like, look, mm-hmm. this is how I gifted your love. And I take it as a super compliment. He's not trying to imitate or anything like that. But there's tons of fake love walls now. There's mm-hmm. tons of people coming on the woodwork trying to do this. And I'm not saying I invented it. Humanity is how old? No one's inventing anything at this point, really. We're just reinventing. We're, we're making it our own. We're delivering it in our own way. We're making it better. We're improving upon it, right? So I'm never going to say I owned something or invented something because there's multiple different ways of things that have happened in the past. But there's definitely a way how I do it and how mm. I execute it. And you can tell when people try to do it that way, it's, it doesn't come out. And I get tagged in a lot of stuff and I'll say, no, that was not mine. Sorry. So that's a thing, like people are out there basically knocking off those love walls and whatnot. And there's nothing you can do about that. Everything's copyrighted and trademarked. I'm in like Mm -hmm. all kinds of court thingies about my layered one, like this style. Yeah. But because they say it's not always super consistent, but some of my other patterns that are, think of the LV pattern, I have patterns that are going to be very consistent over time. So all that stuff will be protected. I had a company already doing fake Ruben clothes. I didn't even get mad at it. You know, I'm like, dude, I made it. I'm like Louis Vuitton. Let's go. <laughs> so right. Fake Jordan. Let's go. Right. 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 So right. Canal Street. Su- I got super excited about it. But I've spent thousands of dollars protecting myself. And my attorney's like, no, this is one we're actually going to do something with. And oh, it's wow. really because this guy has done this to all kinds of creators, brands, Game of Thrones, HBO, whatever. So we'll see where that goes. So last couple of questions. A, how are you thinking about, quotes, success these days? I don't look at it by my bank account anymore. Again, I'll preface it. That is still important. I look at how many people I impact, how much this is growing. I'm, this is now, now I really refer to it as a lifestyle and a lifestyle brand. And I look at Nike and what they've created. You look at their SB what they've done for skate culture and all that, or you look at the Jordan line or things like that. And the army of people that go after it, I'm defining success by how big I can create that culture of live through love to be on the level of a Supreme or a Nike or any of these 
top culture people, Off-White, you name it. I mean, I have dreams to collaborate with Virgil, LV, a, a whole bunch of people as I continue to grow. And I know I'm just starting. I mean, I'm in year two of the clothing line. But that is how I define it. And then I'm going to measure with how many people are actually changing their lives that then are inspiring all those people around them to then change those lives and so on and so forth and so on and so forth. So can I completely measure that? No, but I know by like what people message me, what's happening, what's building and what's growing, that it is making a difference and making a change. So that's how I look at, at success right now. And then finally, if you could go back and have a chat with five years into financial planning, Ruben, who's got one foot in to the art world, what would you say to yourself? I thought you were almost going to go back to little Ruben. And I would have said, I wouldn't tell little Ruben anything because I wouldn't be right. who I am right now. But right. five years into the practice, that I could definitely answer. And I would just say, shift quicker. You know, believe in myself quicker. Get over the doubts quicker. And it's not that they're not there. They're very prevalent. They're always there. Like I take risks all the time. I'm like, oh, should I really place that huge multi-thousand dollar order? Because I'm self-funded. Everything's on me. What if it doesn't sell? What if this? What if I'm stuck with it? Like there's all these things, but I'm like, but you just had to be, no, this is bigger than that. This is bigger than you. You're going to continue to push it forward. So as long as I believe in the mission and the vision, I believe we can taper our doubts. Not, they're not as loud, right? They're there mm -hmm. for a reason, but that's what I would tell myself. Shift quicker. You're done quicker. Don't worry about your clients. Because I'm, I'm loyal to a fault. So my thing is like, oh, I can't do this for my clients. That took a couple of years to negotiate, try to get right. it done. You're a new father and you're yeah. a relatively new husband. How has that changed your art? Great question, you know, because while we were pregnant, people were like, oh, your art's going to change. It's going to impact you. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. And it's not that it's changed my art. If anything, it's reinforcing what I'm doing because I'm starting to see some of the effects on what it does for, for people that follow me and for people that engage, for people that are like, I am living through love and choosing love because that is what's going to make this world a better place for my son. And that's another measure of success. If we can leave this place better for him and yours and whoever else is going to have children one day or have children, that's important. So has it changed it in any way of how I deliver it and put it? If anything, I might want to go bigger. And mm -hmm. I do limit like at the beginning, I'll go and someone's like, I have 500 bucks. Will you come paint this wall in Houston? Sure, I'll figure it out. But like now... I can't really do that now because then I'm away from him. That has changed my working stuff. But as far as the art, no, it's, it's just got to get, keep going, moving forward, getting bigger and bolder and riskier. So my kid brings me in a show and tell and they'd be like, oh, that's your dad? <laughs> my mom has a painting in his house, you know? That to me is just super cool. Beautiful, man. Well, I want to wrap this up by looping back around to childhood <laughs> to little Ruben with the red dog. Obviously dogs, as you noted, represent unconditional love. And it seems like right now your work is very much about getting people to that place, right? In order to, to be unconditional loving with oneself, you have to be able to forgive yourself. And then that allows you to be able to forgive others. And then that allows you to choose 
consciously who you want to be. Because I feel like a lot of times when people aren't making that choice consciously, it's because there's something about them that they don't value. And that usually comes from something from the past they haven't forgiven themselves for, or someone hasn't forgiven them for. And, and so that process it's kind of like your art is like a MIT course. You know, every time you see one of your murals, it's like you don't even realize you're in an MIT course because yeah. you're being confronted with these principles, these very beautiful, simple love principles that you get to think about. And maybe you don't come up with the answer in the moment, but it plants something in, in your psyche that you eventually are going to be positively affected by. So I just want to acknowledge you, man, for taking that leap of faith when you did and for committing yourself to ending, what did you call it? Ending the ugly wall syndrome. <laughs> yeah. It's a and true he- epidemic. Yeah. Is that a pandemic? I don't know. One of those words. And helping us see life through the lens of love. So thank you very much for that. And, and I'm excited about what's still evolving in your art and in your business. And I'm honored to be able to call you a friend. Thank you so much, Light. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to my interview with Ruben Rojas. To get a glimpse of Ruben's work, I would say to start with his Instagram, which is at Ruben Rojas, R-U-B-E-N-R-O-J-A-S. And his website is rubenrojas.com. And of course, we'll put all the links to everything in the show notes, which you can find at lightwatkins.com slash tunnel. Speaking of lightwatkins.com, while you're there, you'll see my announcement that the audio book for Knowing Where to Look is now out. It's read by me, of course. And it includes bonus commentary about the backstory of some of the doses of inspiration I include in the book. So if you are a fan of the hardcover, you will certainly love the audiobook as a perfect companion to that hardcover version. So definitely check that out when you can. You can also get information on my Happiness Insiders community, which has a free three-day trial and a complimentary seven-day meditation kickstart if you join. And being a part of that community will put you and I in contact with one another, and you can change your life from the inside out. So just go to thehappinessinsiders.com to get more information about that and to start your three-day free trial. Finally, if you can subscribe and leave a rating or review for this podcast, that would be the best way to help me share these conversations. Ratings matter more than you probably realize they do when it comes to making this podcast more searchable. I don't have advertisers or sponsors, so it's very much a labor of love. Each episode takes hours of pre and post production and just a very tiny way that you can help to share this work is by taking 10 seconds to rate it. All you do is you look at your screen, you click on the name of the podcast, you scroll down past the previous episodes, you'll see five blank stars and just click the one on the far right and you've left the rating. So thank you very much in advance for that. And I hope to see you back here next week for the next story from the end of the tunnel. Until then, as always, keep trusting your intuition, keep following your heart and keep taking those leaps of faith. And if no one's told you recently that they believe in you, I believe in you. Thank you and have a great day. If 
you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.